The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. instructions on what to do, and I want to give you guys this verse. It's out of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Sorry, I don't have my glasses today. I got to kind of do the old lady thing. Chapter 9, verse 7, it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I have to say, being a part of the Beat Church it is actually really, really easy to be a cheerful giver here, isn't it? Isn't it easy to be a cheerful giver? Because uh, through your guys' sacrifice, through your guys' obedience to the Lord and giving, the Beat Church has been able to do some really, really incredible things to touch people's lives, to reach the community, to help people who are struggling with rent and food and medical bills and all kinds of things. And because of you guys, um, you guys all get to participate in being the hands and feet of Jesus and helping people with those things and answering those prayers. So it is so easy to be a cheerful giver here. And so I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't done that before, just give it a little try. All right. And then we have some announcements. Let me get those. All right. So we have community groups on Tuesday nights. Um, all these are available on the app and the website if you want details on times, addresses, <laughs> times, addresses, and locations. Uh, Kyle and Jenna have a community group that meets in their home, and Pastor Andy and Carrie have a community group that meets in their home on Tuesday nights. All right, and then we have youth group is happening this Wednesday. Yes, we are so excited. We're going to have youth group here. There's going to be some games. There's going to be food. It's going to be a really great time to just hang out. There's going to be a really short little message, not like a whole sermon, some time where kids can break out into groups and talk. But for the most part, we're just going to have a lot of fun. I'm so excited for that. That's going to be 7 o'clock this Wednesday here at the church. And then we have a ladies' day coming up in Salado. Did I say the name of that city right? It's Salado. It's Salado. I'm not from here. I don't know these things. Salado, not like salad O. Texas. That's what I thought when I saw it. I was like, salad Oh, uh, That's going to be February 6th. So, Laura, can you raise your hand real quick? This beautiful lady right here is putting that together for us. If you want information and details, um, find her. It's going to be really fun. And then God Outside, our reflective hike experience. They're going to meet at Walnut Creek January 30th at 9 a.m. So, Melicio, and I don't know if he's here today or not. Not yet. Okay. So Melicio is coordinating that, and his uh, telephone number should be in the bulletin. It's also available online if you need questions with that. All right, and with that, I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Andy. All right, Thanks, awesome. Guys. One announcement that she missed is that Tom Brady is going to win a game today for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Wow. Okay, come on, all together now. Wow. Uh, Jesse's going to be preaching today, and uh, the reason I asked Jesse to preach this is because uh, we're going. To, we're talking about knowing Jesus, and Jesse loves the Old Testament. He loves reading through that. Uh, sometimes he's just sitting there at night while you guys are on Netflix, and he's just reading his uh, Leviticus and all those kind of things. He loves it. So we're trying to get to know Jesus not through culture but through His Word, right? What does the Word say about Him? And so that's really a gift to Jesse is digging that Old Testament. So he's going to share on those things. So listen. And dig into that. The idea here is to whet your appetite because we can't cover it all in one Sunday morning. And there's so much more to dig out on your own. But, but let it get you hungry. Let it get your appetite going. And he's going to bring a great word. Let's pray over it real quick and then I'll have him take off. Father, 
We pray that your spirit would just help us, Lord, to hear and to understand uh, the word. God, not just, Lord, the actual syllables, but God, the meaning and the depth uh, that you're trying to communicate to us today. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Andy said he's going to bring a great word, so I hope that's the case. We will see. But like he said, the goal of today is to whet your appetite. What does that mean? That, you know, sometimes on Sunday we come to church, we hear things, you know, uh, the preacher, you know, we get some, sometimes things in worship. Maybe the Lord speaks to us spiritually. We hear something in the teaching, but then sometimes we don't pursue it much, you know, going into the week or maybe searching it deeper. And we serve a God that is big. Amen. Amen. He's really big. And you know what? He all gives us a certain amount of time here on earth. And no matter how much we dig in and read, we're still just getting a, a sliver even of, you know, how grand and how big God is. Um, but I like what Andy said there about, you know, what we talked about last week. Andy, does anybody remember real quick what Andy kind of talked about last week? <laughs> Jesus, yes. Jesus, you know. And, and he was kind of explaining grace. And, you know, sometimes in, it's not just today's culture. This has been going on through the last two centuries, you know. People are always trying to use the grace of Jesus, the mercy of God, to, uh, you know, kind of do what they wanted sometimes. And so he talked about the importance of the law. And Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill, right? And sometimes, man, he came with things that were maybe even a little harder, uh, you know, before you couldn't commit adultery, but now he says, if you looked upon a woman lustfully, you know what what that thought did in your mind. He he really showed that it, you know it's bigger than that. Things go into our heart, but that's what he came to free us from. And I heard a great uh, definition of grace. It said that uh, grace is the Holy Spirit empowering us to live holy lives. It comes from the Spirit. That's what grace is. You're like, are you teaching on grace? No, but I'm just going off that because I listened to his message again to kind of, you know, bounce off of it. And it's something in my own life that I have to remember, you know, that I'm walking this walk with Christ. You may have heard this phrase is, I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. It's a process. It's not that one night you gave your life to Jesus, it's done, that's all I need to know. By her, his mercy and grace, I am saved. Yes, you were, but now... There's this walking and this thing that we do with Jesus. And we're continually, you know, being saved. He is saving us. And so I, I ask you to welcome that until you're God <laughs> when we're with him. And so that's why it's a marathon, like Paul said. And so today, for the next six months, actually, we're going to be talking just about Jesus and diving into him and, and who he was and knowing more about him. And uh, he called himself, you know, before Abraham was... I am. So he's God. He's not just a blip in the New Testament. And so we're getting to know him through prophecies and promises. And when Andy told me this, you know, usually whoever's going to preach or teach, I don't know if it's the same with everyone, but it'll kind of give you, hey, this is what our subject is, what we're going on, and here's my idea. And then he kind of sent me some links, like 351 Old Testament prophecies, you know, like, oh my gosh. The problem with me when I get into that, I'm a little OCD, so I'm looking through a lot of these. Like, just pick some, because obviously we can't go through all of them. I mean, that's just too many. And, oh, but, man, my notes when I first started was probably a 10-page sermon. I'm like, okay, that's not going to work. Okay, so I got to break it down. Um, but it was hard. But I, I trust that as we go over the next six months, we're going to learn more. So today, I'm excited because we're going to get a dive into the Old Testament a little bit, and the New Testament, but, you know, Jesus was in the Old Testament, and so uh, one of the reasons we're doing this is, why do I need to know more about Jesus? Why do I need to seek him? Why do I need to, you know, do all these things? Well, there's a reason. A any relationship in your life, you know, if you want it to grow, if you want it to mature, if you want to uh, be closer to someone, you need to get to know them more. You know, if I look at my relationship with my wife, we met when I was 20. I, I actually met her when I was like 19, but I, we didn't know each other then, and it was just a blip. But when I met her when I was 20, you know, uh, after about a year, we got engaged, and then a year later, we got married. 
Now, if you were to ask me then, I would say, I know everything about Sheila. You know, I'm done. I don't need to do anymore. I know pretty much her likes, her dislikes, things that bug her, things that I do that bug her, or, you know, things that I know I can do that she loves. And, you know, here's the thing, though. 20 years later, we'll have our 20-year wedding anniversary this year. That's good. That's good. And it's, it's, it's been work, but it's been fun, too. When, when, when you put the work in, and that's the thing. A relationship takes work. It takes work, and, and, and work in the way of, I can't just say, well, Sheila, I knew who you once were, and that's all I need to know. I don't need to continue to pursue you. I don't need to find out your likes and dislikes, what, uh, you know, maybe a season that you're going through, because, you know, that'll pass. That'll pass, Sheila. Don't worry. How will that relationship last? Now, you may say, hey, we're going to stick it out, okay? We're going to be like... My grandma and grandpa, they got out of World War II, and their marriage was horrible, but they stuck it out. I'm not saying that's bad, but I don't want that to be my relationship and my marriage with my wife. I don't want to be in this relationship where I feel like I'm stuck. And so God gives us things that we can do to say, no, I, I have to lay down some of the things, my desires, uh, you know, to build this relationship. I have to really, you know, say, what is, who is my wife? What does she need? What does she want? Who, who is she? And it's the same, in, you know, whether it's a deep friendship uh, and those things, you know, I don't want to be, uh, usually a deep friendship isn't when you text someone, it's always left on red. Tell me, who does that bug? Especially with my kids. When I'm trying to get a hold of my kids and they're not somewhere I want them to be, and either their phone's dead or I didn't bring my charger or they just left it on red. Oh my gosh, I get so mad. That's just a side tangent. But, uh, you know, if you have someone that you think is your great friend and they, they just always leave it there, they never respond back, they never want to know about you, it's about them, the relationship's only going to go so far. And so that's why it is important, why we need to dig into what the Bible said about Jesus, who he was, and um, that's what we're going to do. So, and, and know this, Jesus, my wife's important, I love her. Jesus is more than that. He's not just my savior. He's my king. He's the God of the universe. He created me. He created my wife. He created us. It, it says in John, it says, uh, my breath, everything in me, it, it's in him. He created it. He holds everything, the whole world together by the word of his power. And so that's who we're wanting to get to know. And you know what? He wants it. He, he invites us. And so that's why it's important. And so I'm going to take a quick drink, slow down. Am I doing good, Kyle? For those of you who don't know, Kyle loves chess, and he's pretty good. And I've beaten him, I think, once or twice, but only because it timed out. But I screenshotted it, and because it doesn't say that. Well, maybe in the later if you go, but on the first one, it just said Jesse won. But it's so hard, because you only have three days to make a move. And chess, to me, if you're going to play it, you've got to be there and just really doing it. But that was a good little point there. So, hey, Kyle and our relationship has been built over the years by getting to know each other better, you know, getting to know each other's weaknesses, our flaws, uh, and then our strengths and what can help us. Now, here's the great thing. Jesus doesn't have any weaknesses, okay, but he still wants us to know him, but he knows ours. And so we're going to dig a little into the Old Testament, and you say, well, well, why? Jesus came, okay, uh, and, then, and then later on, you know, the New Testament was written, it has the words of Jesus, we're under a new covenant, why do I need to look back? You know, why do I need to look back? Why is it important? Well, if you don't know, a lot of the Old Testament stories are allegorical, and they're pointing towards Christ. They're, you may hear the word Christophanies. You know, Jesus is in the Old Testament, not just as God, but just kind of what was going to happen in stories and things that happened. And for those of you that don't know, an allegory, this is the big way of saying it, figurative treatment of an unmentioned subject under the guise of another similar to it in some way. If you don't understand that one, Courtney's a teacher. She could say it. Or here's an easy way. It's a cloaked way of talking about something. It, it's kind of relating to something, but it's showing something else. Um, Augustine, one of the great forefathers, theologians, uh, you know, fathers of the church, he had this saying. It says, the New Testament is in the old concealed, or, or you could even say Jesus is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. You get that? Jesus is a little concealed in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, 
he's revealed. And everything that was coming that God was planning is finally revealed. Uh, here's, a, here's a few little examples. Moses, we all know those stories, or maybe not all of us, but you, you're learning, you're going to learn. Because I believe after here, you're going to, let's go and start reading about him. Well, you know, God chose him. Uh, the Israelites were in bondage to Egypt. Pharaoh was killing all the babies. And, 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 and so it said about Moses that his mother saw him. And it, for some reason it said he was so beautiful. You know, he was a beautiful child. And, and there was something that God anointed him. And, and the mother knew, I got to save him. And even the nursemaids, you know, said, we got to save this. And so uh, they saved Moses. He went down the, the river in a basket. And he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. He was then raised but the rest of his people, things were bad. And then, you know, Moses tried to help sometimes. He knew he was part of this life, but he knew who he still was, you know. And, and he killed an, uh, an, an Egyptian guard who was kind of uh, messing with one of the Jews. But they didn't take it too kindly. And so he had to flee. Well, eventually God caught him, called him out of the wilderness, you know, where he'd been for 40 years. And uh, that's a Christophany. Remember, Jesus had to go into the wilderness for 40 days. He didn't have 40 years to do it. But, and then Moses came back to free the Israelites because God called him. So Moses was not Jesus, okay? But it was a picture of who Jesus was going to be. He was coming to free not only Israel, but us. We're the new Israel, okay? Uh, passing through the Red Sea when they did that. It wasn't just something that had to have happened that way. That's a picture of baptism. God comes, he rescues us, and then he takes us through the waters of baptism. He did it with Israel. That was an allegory of what we do today with baptism. And then another one is, you may have heard this, when Moses was striking the rock. They were complaining, why did you take us from there? We have to eat this manna. We don't like it. There, it sucked, but, you know, you start to, it, it, it's like that in life, though. You eat something really bad, and you don't, you're going into something that maybe you thought would be better, okay, and it's not as good as you think, and you forget how bad it was back there, but you just remember, you, you still remember like, well, well, this is really bad. You know, I'd rather do this and that. At least I could do that, and, and the problem is it, it takes our eyes off of God, and they were complaining, and so Moses went up, and he striked the rock, and water came out. I mean, it was gushing out. Well... Christ is the rock that we drink from. The people were in need. And remember, Jesus said that if you drink of me, it's everlasting. You won't need to drink again. And so the, the, those are kind of allegories. That's what an allegory is. And, and yes, Moses was still real. The Israelites were real. Moses wasn't Jesus. But when you read those stories, that wasn't accidental why God did that. Okay? And we get to see that revealed in the New Testament. Um. Jesus said this before we kind of get into the prophecies. Matthew 13, 52. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And so, remember, Jesus wasn't teaching from the New Testament when he was here on earth. I mean, the New Testament wasn't quite there. Now, his words themselves were the new covenant, new teaching, but, you know, Paul wasn't on the scene that. So Jesus was continually also teaching from the Old Testament. And he was showing that, hey, both of these are treasure. What is old, don't throw it away. Uh, it, you know, there's so much in there. I'm in there. I'm the word. So, uh, you know, if you want to say, hey, I'd rather stick with the new and not get into the old, I challenge you to add some old to you, uh, Old Testament, and continue to read it. And you'll see Jesus in there. So. Are you ready to do the 351 prophecies about Jesus? Okay. By the way, I just printed a, this is just the first three pages of the 351. I was bringing this for an example. Um, but I have this on PDF. And so maybe after the service or tonight or something, Andy, I don't know if whether on the app or on the beach, you know, uh, church page, we can link uh, so you can go in and actually see what they are and, you know, go back and read them and see how many times God, the Messiah was prophesied and the promises that God was going to bring to us through Jesus. And so, all right. The first one, now a lot of us, you know, may have heard this one. We hear this at Christmas. Uh, born of a virgin, okay? The prophecy was back in Isaiah. If you read the book of Isaiah, it is full of messianic prophecy throughout. 
Um, he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. You know, I love that song at Christmas. We, we seem to read that a lot. Emmanuel means God with us. So God was coming. That was the prophecy. And then the fulfillment part, you know, now you, you can read this in, in several of the Gospels. But in Luke, it says, the angel answered. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And he, the angel was talking to Mary. Um, and you say, okay, well, I see that, that prophecy, and then there's the fulfillment. You know, why are those important? Well, you know, I forget who I was reading, but I was re when I was studying on this, they were saying... It would only take eight to nine prophecies for them to be fulfilled where it would almost be impossible to say that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. Okay, and so they say, because even the Pharisees of that day, the Sadducees, they knew the prophecies. When King Herod came to them and said, where is he going to be born? And they said, Bethlehem. Well, they knew because they studied the word. The thing is, they still missed it. Okay, and so sometimes we can read the word of God and we can miss something. But I, I love the born of a virgin part because I felt like God was saying, hey, it's not going to be by man's power, but the Son of God is coming in a miraculous way, and no other way can he come except by that, you know? And so um, here's part, the second one we've heard because we hear this a lot of times at Christmas. He was born in Bethlehem. You know, we see the nativity scenes all the time at Christmas. And uh, the prophecy was in Micah. It says, but you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And, you know, as Micah's prophesying this, he probably didn't even know exactly what he was prophesying. You know, but it was about the Messiah. And, and then the fulfillment of that, um, Matthew 2, 4 through 6, he said, When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for that is what the prophet has written. Remember I said King Herod, he, he knew a Messiah was coming. He did not want to give up his seat for a supposed maybe king coming in. So he said, you know, he was kind of tricking them, but he wanted to go in and get rid of the baby. So he went to the scribes and the chief priests of that day, and they knew. And he says, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Prophecy fulfillment. Bethlehem wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't the biggest town. But out of it, God was going to bring something that was big. And so uh, it's important that these prophecies come to fulfillment. Or it's not a legit prophecy. Amen. I don't know if any of you have maybe been given a, a prophetic word before. If you have been given a prophetic word maybe before, raise your hand or a word of knowledge. Okay. Um, have those things come to pass that you've been prophesied over? Okay. Now, I've probably maybe been given words that didn't come to pass. Okay. Sometimes that can be the mistake. Remember, we're humans. We're prophesying. We're listening to God. And, you know, sometimes something may come that doesn't. Now, I won't necessarily write that person off right away. Or not write them off, but say, oh, well, they just don't have the gift. But sometimes with prophecy, you know, if someone's going to be speaking a lot of prophesying things, if they don't come to pass, you guys, quit listening to them as a prophet. We have them on social media all the time. They're prophesying certain things, and, man, they fall flat. Okay, well, the, the, the truth is in the pudding, as my dad used to say. Okay, so... Uh, here's the next one. The Messiah was coming through David, King David. The prophecy was when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. forever. Now, when David heard that, you know, David had Solomon. And his king, you know, Solomon was a great king. But here's the word thing. I don't know if David was thinking, well, he'll establish my kingdom forever. Well, obviously, it didn't take long 
before the kingdoms of Israel fell flat on their face. They were taken back into bondage by Babylon. So it's like, well, how can that be? You know, the Pharisees knew. They knew a, 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 a king was coming to rule again. They were wrong, though. And the fulfillment of this is in Matthew 1. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I didn't list the whole genealogy list, but if you go to Matthew 1, it'll list it going all the way down. That Jesus was in that line. That's what the prophecy was about. That there's a kingdom coming that's greater. David, I know the Jews look at you as the best king there was, and he was a great earthly king. But he said, there's one coming from your line that will sit on the throne forever. And he'll bring a kingdom that will never fade, it will never part. Uh, That's another one of the prophecies and the fulfillment. Here's one. Some people don't know this one or haven't heard this. It says, the Messiah would end up in Egypt. So, he's going back to where originally they were taken from. In Hosea 11.1, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Do do you see the the, kind of allegory from the first one we talked about where he called Israel, he used Moses, and he called Israel out of bondage, right? He, He brought them to the promised land. Well, he was doing the same with Jesus because for his kingdom, something greater and here's the fulfillment. You're like, well, when did Jesus go to Egypt? You know, wasn't he's from Bethlehem uh, in Israel. Well, remember, Herod was looking to kill all the babies. And so he's, uh, Joseph took his family and he went to Egypt for a while. And he said, so he, Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And so there was a time when an angel came back and said, Joseph, things are better now in Israel. You can come back. And so it's just funny how when you read those old stories, how Christ, you know, the, the Christ is in them. And, you know, he's, he's going to be doing somewhat of the similar things uh, just to show that there are earthly things, but through them I'm going to give you a little glimpse of myself. And so he came back out of Egypt. Um, Here's another one. Christ's ministry will destroy the devil's work. Boom. That's a big one. Devil, you know, he had a lot of works. He was doing some bad things. Genesis 3.15 says, and uh, this is after Adam and Eve have sinned. Uh, They're sitting in the garden. God's talking to them and said, okay, you know, things can't be exactly the way they were before. You know, I gave you instructions. You didn't follow them. And now sin has kind of come into the world. And so God had to lay out some things, and, uh, but he prophesied right there in the beginning. He says, he's, uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the snake. He's talking to the devil here. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And so what that was saying is, uh, you know, Satan, since the fall, has always been trying to mess things up. You know, it says he's like a roaring lion. That, you know, goes to and fro looking to see who he can devour. That's why we put on the whole armor of Christ, you know. And yes, it may not be the real, the, the, the Lucifer himself that's after you personally. But he's got an army and there's a, we live in a spiritual realm. Okay. And so as believers, we got to believe that. Okay. We have a worldview that, yes, God's there. There's also an enemy there. But we have authority over him. And so what he w- said is, yes, the devil's going to cause some harm to mankind. You know, he's going to come after Jesus. When he was crucified, the devil was probably like, okay, that was a mess up, God. You screwed up. But that's not what happened. Jesus came back and it said he crushed his head. And then in 1 John 3, 8, the fulfillment of that from 45, 5,000 years earlier, the prophecy, it says the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Amen, that's good. Now you say, did the devil go bye-bye? Is he gone? No more? No, that's not what he's saying. But he was saying, I came to give you freedom, you know, to take away sin. He took away the sin. And so that took away Satan's power over death. You know, before they had to do certain things, and it was so hard. You had the law, and, you know, not everybody was allowed to do certain things. Not everybody could go into the temple. And it's like, man, you kind of felt like, because they didn't have the heart of God. They didn't have the spirit yet. And so they're just walking this tight line. 
and one slip up, you know, it's just Satan had power over death, you know, but Jesus came to take that back. So that's a, a big deal. Um, I got a couple more. Jesus would be despised and rejected. It was prophesied that that would happen. The king of the world, God himself, would come down and be despised and rejected. The prophecy, and, and when I give you one prophecy, some of them throughout the Old Testament, there's multiple uh, on those. And so uh, it was confirmed throughout different prophets. And in Isaiah 53, it says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from people from one whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. That doesn't sound like a high and mighty king coming, like what you expect. And that was fulfilled in Luke 4, 28. We read, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Man, they despise. Here's the Messiah, the king, the savior of the world. They're the Pharisees. They should know. They had all the prophecies. Jesus is actually fulfilling them. These works, everything. They were blind. Just like the Israelites in the desert who saw a pillar of fire. They saw a sea part. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And they were still blind. They were still blind to who God was and what he was doing. And when I say the Pharisees, we're included in that. You know, there's many times followers would come, they would listen to Jesus, they wanted to get healed, and then he would say something like, that's a hard teaching. And then it says the crowds just, woof, left, you know. They were there for like, oh, give me the good, you know, but oh, I don't want that. Uh, you know, well, Jesus has a lot of that. Some things that are a little like, oh, God, that's hard, Jesus. Like, you say this, and oh, but that's hard. Okay, let's not be like the crowds and disperse and leave. Let's dig in more to him, like some of the disciples, even though they kind of left him too sometimes. That goes into this. Jesus was abandoned by those closest to him. Psalm 41. The Psalms are full of messianic prophecies of Jesus. David, when he would worship, they would just come out. It says, uh, one of the prophecies was, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. John 13, 18 is one of the fulfillments of that. He says, I am not referring to all of you. This is Jesus speaking at the Last Supper. He's saying, in here there's a traitor, and I didn't just find out about it, I've known it. And he's kind of calling it out. He says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. So one of his own would directly turn against him. got two more two more of these this is just this is just scratching the surface are you awake are you okay Kyle make that noise for me go mm -hmm. oh by the way if you heard that when, when Courtney was on stage I didn't have this on mute and I'm like <clears throat> clearing my throat and everybody may have heard that she was like so uh he was despised and rejected he would be abandoned by those closest to him before I go on Do you ever feel like sometimes that God doesn't know what you're going through and what you're feeling? I feel like that sometimes. I mean, even though I know he's God, I know he saved me, I know certain things happen, but sometimes I feel like, God, are, are you listening? Are you seeing? You know, nobody else cares about this. I mean, there's times I'm going through something, and I feel like <laughs> my family doesn't care. And sometimes that is that does happen. They, they don't see the internal, maybe the battle, whatever's happening. But here's the thing. The reason that we can trust Jesus is he's been through those things. He, he went through them. He knew, what, he knew what that felt like. And, you know, there's something that's easier to relate sometimes with someone who has been through what you've been through and to know what it feels like. Uh, you know, that's just a fact. And, and, and so we know that our Savior went through a lot and that he can, that's why he can mediate between us and the Father because he knows what we've been through, what we feel, and he went through that. Okay, the next one was Jesus, God's anointed. He would not see decay. This is an important one. Psalm 16, 9 through 11. David saying, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful one see decay. 
You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And Jesus, that was fulfilled, Acts 2.31 says, Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. You guys, it's a big deal that Jesus died. It's a big deal. Guess what? It's a really big deal that he rose from the dead. Okay? Because everyone dies. Okay? Whether someone was a God figure or not, if you read their stories, I, I do. I like Greek mythology. I, li I just like reading some of those stories. And Yes, I don't believe them. But I love Greek mythology. You know, Perseus, Odysseus, you know, just these stories. Well, you know, even the gods died. But here's the thing. Jesus, the real God, didn't stay dead. Okay? He came back to life. His body didn't see decay. He wasn't in the grave long enough. And even when he was dead, he was taking care of business. Man, he was in hell taking the keys back. And so, you know, he was doing something. So it's important that your God died, but it's also important that he rose from the dead. We have a God that is alive and well today. So you have someone to, we're not just reading Old Testament like, oh man, he was a, look what he did. He was a great guy. Man, that's like a hero to me. No, he's living and active, and we seek him. And he's there. And, and when you call out, the good thing with that, when you have a God that's alive, he responds. Okay, a dead God does not respond. So that's a big deal. Kind of the last, uh, last prophecy fulfillment that we're going to hit on is Jesus will have a throne that is everlasting. Okay, bigger than David's kingdom. And he was an awesome king. Even bigger than Solomon. Solomon, uh, with the size and how much came in, was greater than his uh, father's kingdom. It was bigger. And then it, you know, kind of started to go down to that. Well, Jesus is going to have one that's everlasting. In Daniel 7, this is when, the funny thing too, a lot of these prophetic words were coming to the Israelites when they were back in bondage. After sinning, rejecting Christ, you know, pushing God away, going after the, the gods of other nations. And God was just merciful. Another chance, second chance, third chance, fourth chance. No, we don't want you. Okay? If you push God away enough, he's not going to force himself. You know? It says, he, he, uh, if you're humble, he'll come to you. If you're proud, have fun. So in Daniel 7, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. That means all power, okay? It wasn't like just with Joseph and the Pharaoh where you're only this great but not, you know. No, Jesus was given sovereign power. He's God. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The fulfillment of that, Luke 1, 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son. This is kind of going back to when the angel's talking to Mary, and you were to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Prophecy, fulfillment. It happened in Jesus. Okay? There's no other Messiah coming. There isn't. And, 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 you know, even if you go into, uh, uh, you know, Jewish religion now, many of them still believe that, you know, Jesus isn't the Messiah and he is still coming. We know not only from the prophecies and fulfillments, but from a life-changing event when he rescued me and saved me out of darkness that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen. That's good. And so he has a throne that's everlasting. I know today it, it, it's... It's so easy to get caught up in whether it's politics or what, you know, no matter what country, and some have dictators, some have authoritarians, some have kings, queens, some can be good, some can be bad, but you know what, no matter what, all those kingdoms at some point will fall. All great kingdoms do, all small kingdoms do, but Jesus is running a kingdom that will never fail, it will never fall, it will never go bad, it'll, it says it'll, it'll never end, and that's, you know, that's a big deal. We're serving a God who's a king forever. Like, what's that movie? Forever. Sandlot, yes. Great movie. Watch that with your kids. Have your kids seen it? They should watch it. It's a great show. So, all right, I'm going to kind of wrap up now. Um, 
So as you see, guys, I gave you eight there. There's a lot more. Some of them may repeat themselves or kind of show the same thing. God always does that, though. When, when he gives something prophetic, usually he confirms it, and he may confirm it again, you know, uh, and he just does that. And the Old Testament is full of that. And we see Jesus. I like that in the book of Daniel. Some of you may not know this, but when he says, and there before me was one like a son of man. What he was saying is, it's not, he may not have fully understood that it was God, but he was coming down as a man to live a human life. Fully God, fully man, and do what he's doing. Earlier in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember they went to the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. They threw him in. Everyone who threw him in died. It was so hot. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar was looking in. They weren't burning up. But there wasn't just three in the furnace. There was a fourth. And it said he looked like a son of man. Jesus pops up all the time. God's popping up all the time in the Old Testament. And he was there. And, and it's just funny. when Sometimes when we step out in faith, Jesus responds and he shows up. That's true. So uh, these prophecies and promises talking about Jesus coming... They were painting up a picture of who he would be on earth. They were kind of talking about, okay, he's um, you know, going to be despised. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, those were some technical things, but they were important, you know, to say, hey, you know, let's line these up. Is this the Messiah? And that happened. But they also show who he truly was. They were speaking about he's not just born in Bethlehem. He's not an earthly king. He's something greater. And, and it took a while for people to really understand that. But... Um, I just kind of want to close even with just challenging, you know, even with, uh, my parents were divorced when I was little, we weren't church people, but when I was about five or six, my parents, my mom first, you know, got saved and loved Jesus and dragged us to church every Sunday, and I loved it. I remember the stories, I remember her telling me about Jesus and just believing it, like, oh, he's my savior, and I can remember it clear as day, like, just remembering he, he was real and this person was real. And then life happened as I got older in high school. Okay, I, I know Jesus wants me to, be, me to go a certain way and live a certain way. I wanted to do my own things. And I kind of walked away. But even after coming back as an adult and maturing in my relationship with them, this is about all I know. All I know, I'm still learning about Jesus and who he is. And he's wanting to reveal himself, not just to me, but to you guys. He wants... He, he wants you to know him more. And, and he's done ways, you know, he's given us ways to do that. He, I, he can reveal in several ways. One, when we're in worship this morning, we're coming together corporately as the body. To me, that's a big deal. Uh, as we worship, God does reveal a little bit of who he is. He does. And, and uh, many times in a service like that, when we're worshiping, we're praising, we're lifting his name up. You know, sometimes even the gifts are activated. The Holy Spirit's using that to build up the church, to edify. You know, he's showing us a glimpse of who he is. Another way he can do it is through prayer. You know, and I, I, I'm not saying like maybe, hey, Lord, bless his food. And I'm saying, you know, sometimes when we're going after God in prayer, whether it's corporately, it's got to also be individually, though, you know, personal, because uh, we are the children of God. But it's also so personal, too. There's something about our God that can, can do that one-on-one. -on -one. And another way, you guys, is his word. If you're like, hey, I just get it from worship and I just get it from prayer, you're missing a little bit. you you got to also, he reveals himself constantly in his word. And uh, so I heard this, I don't know who said it, but it was so good because, you know, sometimes when we hear God, we think God's speaking. And it's like, ah, is that you, God? He said, write that in pencil, and then check it with the word, because the word's written in pen, okay? So when God reveals himself in the word, he never reveals himself outside of that differently. Now, it may be in a new way, a new revelation, but he's not one way in his word and opposite outside of the word. He's just not. It always lines back up, you know? Uh, now, he may reveal something to you that wasn't specifically here, but you can test it about, is, is that the nature of God? Is that the character of God? Is that, yes, that is. Okay, you're good to go. That's a, a, a new revealing, you know. He wants to deepen that relationship with him. Um, and to do that, we just need to know more, you know. Just as in your human relationships, you know, we have marriage conferences. We have all these different conferences to build relationships, marriages. Uh, and they're giving us tools, maybe uh, learning to connect one-on-one -on -one with the people in our life. And those are important. 
But we also need to do that with God, who's much bigger, and we can't just know fully ever, but he does want to know us more. So um, I want to encourage you guys to dig into the Old Testament. New Testament also, but dig in. And we'll, we'll put that link up with all the prophecies. Um, and he just wants to meet you and reveal more of himself because he's a big God. And, and here's the thing. I have this verse. Um, where'd my phone go? I'm going to get it because I, I, I did part of it here, but I want to read the whole thing. And then we'll kind of pray and end this. Hear that heavy breathing? Man, preaching takes it out of you. I'm telling you. Whew. Okay, Jeremiah 29, 13. This whole chapter is great, but. Sorry, I'm almost there. I, part of it will be up on the screen. I, I'm going to do one verse after it as I was reading this morning. It says, then you will call on me and you will come and you will pray to me and I will listen to you. That's God saying that. Okay? He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's a difference. I've sought God and sometimes he's, he showed up or he's given me a word. And then there's times it's like, God, I, I don't want to seek you any harder than this right now. I don't want to go any farther. And there's times and seasons in our life where God says, you need to seek me and seek me with all your heart. Okay? And that's a big deal. And he says, and, and this is the added verse says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And 14 says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. That reminds me of my first time. How many of you in certain parts of your life are, you know, I was in bondage. I sought God. I, I remember the night I gave my life to him. I was seeking him and I found him and he brought me out of captivity. But as I said, we are saved and being saved. There's still times in my life where there's certain parts that may be still kept in captivity. Or I look back to Egypt and I give part of myself back. And what does God say? Humble yourself. Come before me. And so even... After being saved, Jesus is still saving us. He still, when we turn to him, can bring us out of captivity, out of areas in our life that have us in bondage. Because bondage for some people can be broken, and you never look back. You may have some little issues you deal with. But man, some of us, we're, you know, we keep looking back, keep going back, or we let things in our life. And with me, I've noticed it's when I'm not seeking him the way I should. That's just not, okay, read the Old Testament, read it again, read it again. And if you're not getting nothing, that's your, no, that, it's more than just that. We do need to look. We need to read. But there's multiple ways that we go after God and he will reveal himself. And we got to trust that he's a God that doesn't lie because he doesn't. And he says if we do it, he will do it. So we have to trust that. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you're a God that sees. Lord, and even as Isaiah said that you were Emmanuel, you were God with us. You're not a God that just sits on high and you were upset with us and said, just leave them to their own. No, you had a plan. And, Lord, you showed yourself even throughout the Old Testament of, hey, I'm going to bless these people. But they're just a, a, fore, a, a fore thing, a, a sight of what is going to come. And something that's bigger and better. And it's for all mankind. And, Father God, I just pray that you would put something in our heart, Lord, that has a desire to chase after you. To know you more, Lord. Because... You're so big, we won't fully ever get to know, comprehend you. But Lord, there's so much more that we could go after. And I just pray that, Lord, we would, as Jesus said, those who love me, not only do they seek me, but they obey me. And so, Lord, we have to know your word and know who you are to really know what to obey and how to do it. No matter what culture and time we're in, Father God, your truth, your word transcends that, Father. So, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. All right, guys, we're going to, we have snacks and food and stuff over there. One thing I just want to just tie that in with is this whole idea of knowing Jesus over the next six months, right? It's like, man, well, I'm already a believer. I already know God. The Bible says in Hebrews that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, right? One thing that you should pick up on as Jesse's teaching this is that 
all of these things that were in the Old Testament, they, they tied into Jesus. And so what does that mean? That means that they had a purpose and a, and a reason all the way through as he's revealing himself. Well, what does that mean for us in our own lives? You go through different things and you think, well, I don't know if this matters. I don't know if this, you know, why is this happening to me? Only looking back could people see that those Old Testament things had a reason and a purpose leading towards what God was doing. But that shows the character of God, the author. He starts things, and they're all weaving together and working towards his purpose. So in your life, whatever you're going through, say, well, I don't know why this is happening. Why, what's going on with this? I don't understand. In the bigger picture, there'll be a time when you look back on this year, you look back on last month, you look back on that loss of a loved one or on that thing that you went through with your job or your family or whatever, and God's working all of it together towards his purpose. And we see that in the word and how it worked with Jesus, and that also points to our life and how God works it in us and should give us hope. But we find that hope when we get into the word and we study it out ourselves and we see, man, it seems like God connects all these things. God's a weaver. God makes this master story. Oh, do you know what? I wonder if he's doing that with my life. He is. That's what he does. So be encouraged by that. Thank you, Jesse. That was a great word. Uh, there'll be food and some snacks over there. You guys stick around, make some friends. That's what church is about. It's not just about the word. It's not just about worship, but it's about the family of God connecting, building relationships. Thanks for being here. We love you guys. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com slash give.